Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. I hope you're ready to receive this morning. I hope you want to make progress, that you want to hear what God would have to say to you. Anyone hungry and thirsty and ready to receive? Because that matters. What you receive is really in proportion to your level of hunger and, and desire. So God, God meets us at our level of hunger. It's like when you go to a restaurant, there's all kinds of things that you could eat. That, that place is loaded with food, but it, it's determined by your level of hunger, what you actually end up eating. The same thing's true in the house of God that you can receive all kinds of things, but if, if all you came here hungry for was just to clock into church and say that you were here, well then that, that's the level of hunger that will be satisfied. But I want to take a moment and pray before we get into God's word, and maybe you came this morning and your level of hunger was, and that is Sunday, and I haven't been there for a while, we, we, we better go, so people don't think we're complete heathens, that you can adjust your level of hunger and say, you know what, I, I want to receive something. God wants to speak, you know, God wants to speak to you. He wants to reveal something to you. He wants you to leave here different than you came. So let's raise our hunger and our desire level. Say, God, I want, just right, right now, you can just lift your hands and begin to pray right now. Father, speak to our hearts this morning. Father, where we're not hungry, where our level of hunger and thirst has been low, in your grace, would you cause it to be stirred up in Jesus' name? Lord, we ask that you come and speak to our hearts, reveal things to us, show us things we didn't understand. Father, impart something to us so we can be the men and the women that you desire us to be. Father, if our hearts are, are hard, cold, let there be a change in Jesus' name. Father, I pray in your grace, this, this room, this church right now would be an atmosphere of hunger and desire and expectancy that you could speak. I thank you that we're not limited to what comes out of my mouth, but Holy Spirit, you're our teacher. You're the one that leads us in truth, and so we look to you. We invite you to come bring understanding. Flood our hearts with light. Just ask him right now, Lord, flood my heart with light. Speak to me. Lord, I want to hear from you. I want you to speak to me in a way that I understand. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, Paul goes to Thessalonica, and he starts to preach there. And some of the people receive the good news. The church is established. This is where he ends up writing the letters to the Thessalonians. This is, this is the spot where he goes in Acts chapter 17. But after he's there for a while, people start getting angry, as they, they've done several times before. And they end up running him out of town. He leaves Thessalonica, and he goes to Berea. And he starts preaching to the Bereans, and man, they are responding. They want to hear what he has to say. They're, they're a great example of the way we should be. In Acts chapter, Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it says, these were more, talking about the Bereans, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. That, that, that's how we want to respond with teaching, being ready to receive, being ready to listen, and then going back and studying the word on our own, being men and women that know scriptures, and then what you heard, what you're hearing taught, when you go back and you study it out for yourself, you'll either find 
that wasn't right. That wasn't true. And you spare yourself listening to some kind of nonsense teaching, or it's confirmed and that that word is planted deeper in your heart and you're, you're strengthened in it and you continue to be edified. So Paul goes to the Bereans and he's teaching there. They're receiving, they're studying God's word on their own. But then there's some guys from Thessalonica that hear that where Paul is and they track him down in Berea. And they start harassing him there. And so he leaves Berea and he leaves on his own. He leaves uh, Timothy and Silas behind and he goes on to Athens. And while, while he's in Athens, he's waiting, waiting for his guys to show up. So we'll jump down to verse 16. It says this, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. So Paul is in Athens and he's walking around, he's checking out the city, and while he's, while he's waiting for those guys to show up, it says he saw all of the idols. The whole city's given over to, to serving these false gods, and his spirit, his spirit was provoked. So as he's walking around, he wasn't, he wasn't worried about the guys from Thessalonica tracking him down. That guy looks like a, a Thessalonian. I better be careful and get a disguise. Or he's not worried about... Silas and Timothy and when those guys are going to show up. I wish they'd hurry up and get here. He wasn't thinking about those things. He wasn't consumed with his own life and all the details of what's going on with him. His spirit was sensitive that he cared about the people in Athens and the fact that that town had been given over to idols. It says that his spirit was provoked. Have you ever been provoked? Do you have a brother or a sister? Did you grow up with siblings? If so, you have been provoked, and I'm pretty sure you've probably been a provoker as well. Or if you have kids, you've seen people be provoked. The way that the siblings agitate one another, they find noises to make, or motions to do, or faces to make. All, all, they are so creative in ways to provoke. And when you get provoked, it causes you to say something, do something. It causes you to respond that if I was provoking you, if I find something to irritate you, and I kept doing it. I kept doing it. I kept doing it. Finally, you get provoked. And you say, would you knock it off? Would you stop that? You'd smack me, hit me, move away from me. You would, you would do something about it. There's probably something in your life that irritates you. It provokes you. Maybe it's the way that people drive. When you're out driving, though, you're just aware of bad drivers. And you just... Man, it bothers you when you see people that don't know how to drive. Man, that's not the way that you change lanes. Haven't you ever heard of a turn signal? That's not how you go through a stop sign. It bothers you, and you can't let it go. It provokes you, so you gotta do something. You, you gotta honk the horn. You, when you drive by them, you gotta look at them with a disapproving look. I, you know, I just wanna look and see this person that doesn't know how to drive. You gotta, you gotta shake your fist or make some other kind of hand motion to them. You, you, I mean, it, you've been provoked. They've done something. You can't just let this go. Maybe it's customer service at a store or a restaurant, a bad waiter, a bad waitress, that it irritates you. You, you value good customer service. And so if they, they do something wrong, it starts to provoke you. You can get provoked where you, man, I gotta, I, I just, I'm sorry, I have to say something. Can I please speak with a manager? You, you've been provoked, so you do something about it. Paul, his spirit was sensitive, so when he saw the spiritual climate, what was going on in people's lives, what was controlling them, how lost they were, he couldn't just let it go. His spirit was sensitive, and so he was provoked. He 
he had to do something about it. We need men and women whose spirits are sensitive to the realities going on in the community we live in, in the workplace, in the neighborhood, in your family, that you aren't so obsessed with your own little life and what's going on at work and how much money you're saved and all the different details of your life. There's nothing wrong with that, but we can't be so ingrown and self-obsessed that our spirit has become dull and unfeeling to the reality. There's people all around us that are lost and going to hell, people that are, are hurting, people that need hope, people that need someone to get provoked and do something about it to help them come to know Jesus. We, we got to have sensitive spirits that we, we don't just develop the ability to tune it out. You know, you can develop an ability to not let things bother you. You can come into environments where, where man, you hear all those, the kids, the kids' voices, man, it's so loud in this cafeteria. It's so loud in this daycare. You step into environments like that and someone can say something like, oh, you learn to tune it out. You can learn, you just have to learn to tune it out, right? In some situations, it's valuable to how to learn to tune out irritating stimuli. But when it comes to the spiritual climate, you don't want to develop that ability. We've got to develop the ability to keep our hearts tender and sensitive that when people are lost and hurting, we, we, I, I lack the ability to shrug it off. I want to lack the ability to not do anything about it, that I've got to be moved. I've got to say something. I've got to take some kind of action. That's what Paul did. He was provoked. And even though he had all kinds, I mean, people are trying to hunt him down. He's waiting for friends to show up in town. He was so provoked. He had to do something about it. So he goes and he starts telling people about Jesus. He goes to the synagogue. He starts telling the Jewish people about Jesus. Then he goes and Athens was filled with philosophers and all kinds of, uh, of Greek thinkers. He goes to philosophers and starts telling them. They say, man, this is, this is like a strange teaching. We want to we take you to this, like a, like a city council place where they discuss education and religion and morality. And we, they, they would make judgments. And so that's where we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 17, verse, verse 19. We'll read a few verses here, but don't let me, don't let me lose you. Acts chapter 17, verse 19. It says, and they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, that's the city council place I was talking about, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious, for as I was passing through and considering the object of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he is made from one blood or from one man, every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. And he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. 
as also some of your own poets have said, for we, also, we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So Paul goes to this Areopagus where they get together and talk about religious ideas and morality and decide if this is a, a good one or not. And he begins to present the gospel. And the way that he begins to present it is he talks about this, this unknown God. That the Greeks, the Athenians, and their philosophy and their quest for wisdom and understanding, the culmination of all of their wisdom, the culmination of all of their religion and seeking after the Lord has brought them to a climax of a, an altar to an unknown God. That their reasoning has, has landed them at a spot where they decide that God really ultimately is unknowable. On our own, in our own wisdom, in our own effort, we can't wrap our minds around God on our own. We can't reach God on our own merit. It takes God deciding to reveal himself to us, and that's what's so beautiful about Jesus, that Jesus is an expression of God. Jesus is the word of God, God revealing himself to us. Jesus came to open up a new and a life-giving way that we could have real fellowship with the Father that we couldn't have otherwise, our own goodness, our own merit our own wisdom, couldn't establish it. It required God saying, I, I don't want to be an unknown God. I want to reveal myself to you. That's why Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He came to be an expression. So you can read through the Gospels and you can know what kind of God it is that really exists, how he talks, how he acts, the way he treats people, the way he interacts with people. Jesus said, I don't do anything unless the Father told me to do it. I don't say anything unless the Father told me to say it. Jesus is like an access point to know the Father. He said, I am the way. I am the door. He said things like that because he is the way that we step from our own wisdom into the wisdom of God, that we can come into fellowship with God, and it's only, it's only through Jesus. And so Paul begins to, to present the gospel differently to the Greeks than he did to the Jewish people. Because with the Jewish people, he would reason from Scripture go to the Old Testament and take verses. And they, they respected, obviously respected the, the Old Testament and the prophets. So he would help them to see how it all points to Jesus. But these people, they, they don't respect the Old Testament. It doesn't really matter to them. So notice the way that he presents the gospel. There's an unknown God, but you can know him. And then he goes to creation in verse 24. He reasons, not from scripture, he reasons from creation. Verse 24, it says, God who made the world and everything in it since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. He begins to reason from creation because there's something on the inside of each one of us that knows that there must be a God that, that created the universe all around us. There's something you inherently know that this universe did not come about as a result of an accident, a collision of a couple of random things out in space somewhere. You know, even if it's that knowledge is buried under layers of garbage, tink, thinking and terrible, terrible teaching that you know down on the inside at some point that this world is not just some random accident. The, the solutions, the, the answers that the world provides 
actually result in more questions. A good answer actually silences a question. A bad answer raises more questions. So when you say that the universe came about as the result of a big bang, there's a couple things floating around and they bumped into each other and it resulted in a big, who, who decided, even if that is true, who decided that when things run into each other out in space somewhere that it causes an explosion that creates a universe? Someone had to decide that. Why didn't, why didn't when they ran into each other, it just went thump, bump? So someone had to decide the rules that when these things collide, where did those particles come from in the first place? How, how did there get to be a space with things floating around and then a result when they collide that there's cause and effect already built in? It raises more questions than it, than it silences. People know inherently that there is a God. There is intelligent design. When you look around, that's what the Bible says in Romans chapter one, that men are without excuse because you can find characteristics of God all around us in creation. Creation is an experience expression that there is, there is a real God who made the universe and who made us. So he reasons from creation. There is a creator God. And then he says he is not just a creator. He is a sustainer. Verse 25, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Not only did he create, he sustains, he gives life. He didn't just give life. He gives life. God didn't create things, and now he's sitting back and just kind of watching, like spinning a top, and let's see how this thing goes. God is actively involved in our lives. In the next couple of verses, it says it's in him, in him that we live and move and have our being. That he, He's presented things in a way that people might reach for him. It says even though he's not far from any one of us, he's close to each one of us. Yeah that God is a sustainer, that if you are alive, God is the one giving you life. He's sustaining the life that's operating in you right now. He gives us our breath. Every breath that you take, God has provided that breath. It says that he gives us, he gives us all things, that God is your creator. He is a sustainer. He's active in our lives right now. Whether people are aware or not, God is present and active, sustaining our life. And then look at this next verse as he's presenting this line of thinking, verse 26. It says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. That he created, he sustains, and he, he not just created, but he created specifically, deciding when each person would exist created the boundaries, where you would live, when you would live. And some people would say that's not fair because he's talking about nations. He's talking about general people groups. What if it applies to nation, it applies to the people within that nation. If it, if it applies generally, well, I mean, we're the people that make up that. So it applies to us specifically as well, that God created us. He sustains us and he created you so specifically that there was a time when it was, it was the right time for you. There was a place that was the right place for you. Now, why, why is he presenting this? He's presenting this to help move people from being idol worshipers so that they can come to know Jesus. He can move them from, from loving and worshiping statues in the kingdom of darkness with, with what he's talking about, with this truth, God created you, he sustains you, he's specifically involved in your life, to move them from that darkness into the kingdom of God. Now here's what I wanna wrestle with for the next couple of minutes. If this truth is that powerful to move a complete heathen pagan idol worshiper 
to Jesus, what can this truth do in the life of someone who already loves Jesus? If it can propel someone that far, then what about someone who already knows Jesus? If we'll, we'll let this truth sink down into our hearts and really, really think about and believe God made me. He sustains me. There's something special. He, he handcrafted and designed me. I'm unique. I'm special for such a time as this. If I can get that, as someone who already knows Jesus, if I can get that in my heart, what can it do in my life? Because a mistake that we make is the truths of God's word that bring people into the kingdom. We act and think and believe like they're only effective at getting me to Jesus and after I come into the kingdom, that they lose the power to move me forward. That these truths that propel somebody into the kingdom have the ability to continue to propel you forward, higher, deeper, further into the things of God, but we receive by faith. So if the way that we've been taught and the way we believe is these things move people to Jesus, and then it's just kind of flatline, and we just kind of hang around, and we're just like, I don't know, we're just kind of church people until we go to heaven. That these same truths that they don't diminish in power once we come into the kingdom. They actually increase in power. Let, let me show you from Romans chapter five. Yes. Romans chapter five, starting in verse eight. Stick with me here. Because I, I really believe this is significant. This can, this can help us. This is a blessing to us. Romans chapter five, verse eight says, but God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. While we were still sinners, Christ died from us. And having been justified by his blood, when you're justified by his blood, that's, that's salvation, right? He's talking about salvation. That I, once we've been justified by his blood, you're saved. Then he says, much more after I'm justified, there, there's salvation much more after justification. Will his salvation continue much more after, more so after than, than before? He continues. Verse 10, for if when we were enemies, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through his the death of his son, he says it again, much more having been reconciled. Okay, much more having been reconciled. Something happens after reconciliation that's much more than what happens before reconciliation. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through his, the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Well, if I've already been justified, if I've already been reconciled, then what's this much more salvation that happens in my life after reconciliation, after justification? Salvation doesn't just mean I become a Christian. That word saved means, means healed, made whole, kept safe, made sound, restored, delivered, made well, that there's more than just becoming a Christian. After I become a Christian, I can mature. I become a son. I become a daughter. I, I grow in the things of God. I find direction. I learn how God wants me to bear fruit, the impact God wants me to make. There's more for me to know about God. I grow in my, I grow in my fellowship. It's important that we have this understanding. The truths of God's word, his goodness, his kindness, his mercy, what he did for Jesus, that moves people to salvation, but it doesn't lose its power after salvation. It actually grows in power. 
that its ability to propel me doesn't, doesn't peter out after I accept Jesus. It actually accelerates. If I'll allow it, it actually picks up speed, picks up power, picks up momentum in my life if I'll continue to be engaged with these truths. That's the way things work in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, we know God keeps the best for last, right? We know he keeps the best for last. We're just operating on that principle. If things start at one point and end up getting the best for last, that means they continue to get better and better and better as I go. And the Bible tells us as much. It says that the path of the righteous does what? Yeah, pretty mundane. You know, once you get on the path, I mean, the path is the path. No, it says the path of the righteous gets brighter and brighter and brighter. It keeps changing. It keeps getting better. So these truths, if this truth could move a pagan worshiper into a Jesus worshiper, what if we just meditate on it, get it solidified in our hearts? God created you. He made you special. He sustains you. He's working in your life. You know, it's what the Bible says in Psalm 139. It says that he wove you together skillfully in your mother's womb. You weren't just some manufactured thing come off the, come off the line. You know, just kind of set things into motion. No, he handcrafted you. It says that he fashioned. Verse, verse 15 says you were skillfully woven together in your mother's womb. The next verse says, verse 16 says he, he fashioned you. He fashioned your days. Well, we combine that with Acts 17 verse 26 that he predetermined, he appointed your days, when you would be born, the boundaries of your life, when you would be, where you would be. God decided all of that. You know, God is very, very interested in you. He's interested in you, weaving you together in your mother's womb, handcrafting, thinking about your days, deciding what gifts. When does this person need to arrive on the scene? Where does this person need to be born? He's very, very interested in you. And that interest hasn't diminished. He wasn't just interested, okay, I'm in like the, the design process, but now whatever. He's still very interested in your life. He's interested in the investment he's made. He's very, he wants to be very hands-on in our lives. And if we'll get this, it has the ability to continue to propel us into the things of God. If we'll understand this, it, it has ramifications. It affects things. It affects our lives. For, for example, if you really believe that God decided when you would be born. Any, anyone actually believe that? I mean, you, you're, you're with me? If, if I really get that, God decided when I would be born. It has a ripple effect in the way that I think about other things. Have you ever been an age that you felt bad about or you wished that you were a different age? You were 12 years old and you wished that you were 16. You were 16, but you wished you were 18. You were 18, but you wished that you were 21. You were 21, but you wished that you were 25. You were 35, but you wished that you were 25. You were 45, but you wished that you were 35. You were 65, but you wished that you were 45. Right, right. the enemy will always make you jealous, longing to be a different age. I wanna be older until you get to a certain point, and then you start backblading. No, actually, I, I, want, I want to be younger. And it keeps us it keeps us from really enjoying and appreciating and embracing where we are. But if I understand that I was born at just the right time, well, that is a ripple effect. That means I turned 12 at just the right moment. 
that I turned 15, I turned 21, I turned 30, I, I just recently had a birthday, I turned 46 at just the right, because I was born at the right time, I turned 46 at just the right moment, because God, God knew when the world needed a 46-year-old version of me. God knew when the world needed a 50-year-old version of you, a 25-year-old version of you, a 75-year-old version of you, that if we believe that God pre-appointed the day that you were born, then every, every day from that point on, he's fashioned and he's form. You're right. You're right on time. When you turn 62, when you turn 63, it's because God knew we needed the 63 year old you right now. It has a ripple effect. If I believe that God ordained the day I was born, well, then from there on out, I'm pretty set as far as time goes. I never have to feel bad about how old I am, how young I am. I never have to compare myself to any, anyone else along those lines. It says that he wove us together skillfully. It says that he, he fashioned our days. He fashioned you. That word fashioned that's used is the same kind of word when it's talking about a, a potter forming yeah. clay, fashioning it, forming. He fashioned you. I don't know if you have much experience when it comes to pottery. I'm not exactly an expert on it, but in sixth grade art class, we did do some pottery work and I, I made something that my mother still has to this day. I, I was going to bring it. She said she has it. I went and looked for it at her house. I wanted to show you guys. I, I was actually pretty shocked that it wasn't like the centerpiece of her home, you know, just like the prize on display. So the only thing I could figure is it must be like in a safe somewhere or, you know, wherever she keeps her most valuable things. Uh, that that's, must be where it is. So I, I couldn't bring it. But she claims to still have it somewhere. And I remember when I made it as the, as the, the crafter, the potter, that what I was making, I made a candy dish. I made a candy. It wasn't an ashtray. It wasn't a cereal bowl. It was a dish specially designed to bless people with candy. From the very beginning, I knew what it was going to be, and that, that's what I designed it to be. That God has fashioned you in much the same way that there was specific design. And when there is specific design, you know what goes along with that, is specific purpose. He says he skillfully wove you together. My, my wife likes to crochet. She's actually very good at crocheting. She makes all kinds of things. She's constantly crocheting. There, there's yarn all over, all over my house. I mean everywhere. There's yarn everywhere. I'm just kind of venting right now. You, you wouldn't believe yarn where it shows up. It's everywhere. She crochets while we're watching TV. She crochets when we're in the car. She crochets just sitting around the house. She's always crocheting. Now, she has developed a skill. She's very good at making stuff, crocheting. And anytime I ask her what she is making, she never shrugs her shoulders and like, I don't know. I'm just kind of like crocheting. Now, my daughters, when they've been trying to learn how to crochet like their mom, there's been times when they've been crocheting and I've asked them, hey, what are you making? I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just trying to crochet. I'm just trying to learn how, how to do it. But when I ask her, she's not trying to learn. She's not practicing. She's not just trying to get reps. She is doing it skillfully. So when I ask her, every time I say, what are you making? She's ready to tell me exactly what she's making. Oftentimes who she's making it for. Hey, I'm making, I'm making a scarf and this kind of scarf. It's like an infinity scarf. And here's how you wear it. Here's how it's, it's supposed to go. This kind of scarf you wrap around and there's a clasp and this is how it's going to go. I'm making this little 
purse and it's gonna be like a cross body kind of purse with a little uh, a zipper here and an attachment here. She knows exactly what it is. She's crafting it with purpose because she is, she is skillfully crafting it. And it's the way the Bible says that you were put together. He's skillfully, he wasn't just making you saying, I don't know, we'll see how it turns out. I'm just gonna like turn this thing loose and, and see what we have. No, he had purpose from the very beginning in designing you. And God wants you to know. He wants you to realize. And there's, there's ramifications when you understand you are specifically made. You are purposefully made. You are uniquely gifted. You are put for such a time as this. God has thought the whole thing through. It begins to have a ripple effect. When you realize that you are unique and you are special and God designed you from the very beginning. He had something in mind when he designed you. It begins to affect things. You don't have to waste your time comparing yourself to anyone else because you know that you are unique. You're one of a kind. God had his hands involved from the very beginning. You don't have to be jealous of other people's gifting. It really sets you free. When you know that you are gifted and called and unique and special, you're not jealous of other, it allows you to enjoy other people's giftings. It's when you feel like, man, I wish I was gifted. You can't celebrate someone else's giftedness because you're jealous of their giftedness. When you really understand, no, I too am gifted and special. I can enjoy yours. I can celebrate yours. I've got a confidence. I'm not wasting my time, wasting my life, wasting my calling, comparing myself to other people because I know that I'm special. God created me. He designed me. He gifted me. He skillfully wove me together. He handcrafted and fashioned my every day of my life like, like a skillful pot. You are special. You are unique. You have an assignment here on earth. He made you for a purpose. He sent you here like on an errand from heaven. Then that's the way you have to see yourself once you know Jesus. You are a citizen of heaven and you're here to get a job done. Listen to what it says in John chapter one. John chapter one, verse six. It says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. It's talking about John the Baptist. There was a man sent from heaven whose name was John. Now, this isn't just about John the Baptist. He's an example for us. He's not the only one sent from heaven because we just read verses that talked about how God specifically designed you. You are sent from heaven. Do, do you realize that? You don't. You're sent from heaven. You're here as an ambassador. You are a citizen of heaven here as an ambassador. This, this is important because if I don't understand the sending part, then the next part isn't going isn't to really matter. It says that John was sent from heaven. There was a man sent from heaven. His name was John. That's true for you. You can insert your name. There was a woman sent from heaven whose name was Suzanne. There was a man sent from heaven whose name was Chad. There was a, you were sent from heaven. Amen. You were sent from it. God specifically designed you, handcrafted you, picked the time, picked the place, sent you at the right time. You are a man or a woman sent from heaven. Now, here's what's great about John the Baptist. It says there was a man sent from, sent from God whose name was John. Listen to this. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. That he wasn't just sent from heaven, sent by God that it follows that up and says, the same came. As he was sent, that's the way that he came. That he focused his life on doing 
the mission, the assignment, the errand that he'd been sent. That when Jesus was looking for John the Baptist, he didn't have to run all over and try to figure out where is this guy? He knew where he could find him. He was busy doing the very thing that he'd been sent to do. He was baptizing people, saying there's one coming. I'm not the one. There's one coming after me. He's the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. I'm not even worthy to untie the guy's sandal. I'm telling you that he's coming. That was the mission. That was he, he was sent to do was to prepare the way. He was sent by God on a mission and the same came. Too often, people are sent by God, sent from heaven like you are and people don't realize it and they spend their life getting off on all kinds of other pursuits instead of discovering the assignment, the endeavor, the mission, the errand that God has specifically sent them on and they end up being more like Adam than they are like John the Baptist. That when God was looking for Adam, Adam had gotten off. He was pursuing things that he shouldn't be pursuing, doing things that he shouldn't be doing. And when God went looking for him, he had to call, where, where are you? What, what are you doing? What, what are you spending your time? What kind of nonsense have you gotten yourself uh, caught, caught up in? That's the way it is in too many people's lives that they spend their lives. And when God comes looking for you, will he find you doing what he created you to do? Will he know exactly where to locate you? Because you're like Jesus. You are about your father's business, doing what you were assigned to do when you were assigned to do it, not keeping those giftings tied up on the inside of you under a bushel, but letting the goodness of God, those gifts that he's put on the inside of you, letting them shine, understanding I am, I'm a vessel. I am a conduit designed to bring forth the glory of God. Will he find you doing what you were designed to do? Cause you are uniquely gifted and called for such a time as this. You could have, you, you could have a thousand other worship leaders, but none of them will operate like pastor Jonathan. He's uniquely called, uniquely gifted. No one else can sing a song like he can sing it. No one else can lead people into the presence of God like he can lead them into the presence of God. No one else can lift up a praise specifically the way that he can lift up a praise to God. He's been uniquely crafted and gifted. There might be a thousand other pastors. None of them can deliver a word the way that I can deliver a word. No one else can share the revelation the way that God has given me to share the revelation. I'm not saying that in arrogance because it's true for the other a thousand. I'm just using that as an example that everyone is gifted and you've got to embrace the fact I am uniquely called. I'm a unique expression of God's goodness. I am a unique expression of the glory of God. I've got to embrace it and know I'm, I'm here for such a time as this. And the only way that you can really tap into that is to know the one who designed you, to know the one who crafted you, to know the one who was weaving you together in your mother's wombs. You've got to have an encounter. You've got to press in. Your spouse doesn't know you the way that God knows you. Your mom doesn't know you the way that God knows you. Your father doesn't really know the real you on the inside. They can know you to an extent. They can help point you in the right direction, but you have access to the designer, to the creator who molded you and fashioned you and knew your days before you were even born. He had a dream about your life. You've got to tap into that potential and know beyond the shadow of a doubt. I'm not here just to spin my wheels. I'm not here because God had some mortgages that need paid or some cars that need driven. There was a purpose, an endeavor, an assignment. I, I am here to lift up the name of Jesus in a unique way that if I don't do it, there'll never be another me. There's never ever been one just like me. I've been uniquely crafted. You've got, you've got to appreciate that. And you're here at just the right time. Think about John the Baptist. What if John the Baptist was born today? What if John the Baptist was born today? I'm, I'm sure he'd be a great guy. He'd probably serve the Lord with all of his heart, but you know that his unique gifting, his unique calling, we, we don't really need it today. 
to prepare. We needed it back then. When he was born, he was born at the time we needed his gifting and calling to make an entrance. And you're the same way. God knew exactly when the world needed you. He knew exactly when the body of Christ needed you and the gifts he's put on the inside of you. You are at just the right place, at just the right time. God has thought the whole thing. God's thought the whole thing through. And we need people who will determine, I'm going to be the person God has designed me to be. I'm gonna be the man that he's designed me to be. I'm gonna fulfill the calling that he's put on my life. And that we would have people that, that quit squandering their birthright, squandering their destiny, like Esau for a bowl of soup, getting off pursuing material, temporary things, allowing worldly things to pull them off course and pursuing what they have no business pursuing. We need people where they'll set their face like Flint and say, I'm going to do what God has called me to do. I'm gonna discover that gift on the inside. People that'll commit themselves, if you don't know what it is, to begin to cry out. It takes hunger and thirst. God doesn't just reveal it. You've gotta have a desire. He responds to desire. Father, give me eyes to see. Help me to see see what my natural eyes can't see. Help me to understand what on my own I can't understand. Awaken the inside of me, Father, so that I can perceive. Open open my, my ability to perceive and hear and understand that I'd know you're leading and I'd follow after it. That the things you sent me here to do, I'd be like John the Baptist. The way that I was sent, the same came. I got the job done. I carried out the mission. I carried out the assignment. In Ephesians chapter four, it says you, you've been called, live a life worthy of the calling. This isn't just John the Baptist stuff. This is each one of us. Live a life worthy of the calling. That means that you are called. Something specific is on your life. And we're, we're told to live a life that's in alignment with the calling that rests on your life. There's treasure on the inside of you. There's a shout, there's a cry, there's a gift, there's a purpose, there's an ability that's locked up on the inside of you. The Bible says we have a treasure in jars of clay. There's a treasure on the inside of you. How long will it remain on the inside of you? Hidden, concealed. When will you decide, I'm going to let this, I'm going to discover it. I'm going to make sure that this thing brings glory to God, that we, you've got a treasure. The glory of God is sealed up on the inside of you. You've got to know that your citizenship is of heaven. That I'm here, I'm here sent by God. I'm here on a mission. I'm not like everybody else. I'm a peculiar person. I'm here, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. There are gifts, there's a uniqueness to my life, there's a calling on my life. I am special, I am a blessing to the people around me. I am here as a gift to be a blessing to people around me. I've been recreated as a new creation. I'm gifted, I'm called, I'm anointed. I'm a blessing to people. You, you've, got to, you've got to think of yourself that way. And Paul was telling these people in Athens, Letting them know they've been, they've been serving things that tried to control, dictate their life, dictate what's important to them. He said, it's all false. It's all nonsense. There's a God that you can know. You can know him. And maybe you don't serve idols. Maybe you're not serving statues, but maybe there's things that have begun to control your life. You begin to pursue different things. You're just deciding to get in the flow with everybody else. I guess these things are important. I guess retirement's important. I guess investments are important. You're just kind of caught up in the flow. You don't have to wander through life with God's call on your life unknown. He was telling you, you can know the things that are unknown through Jesus, that Jesus is a revealer. He is a revealer. And instead of following those false pursuits, 
Decide that I'm gonna, I'm, you're gonna tap in to your purpose, to your calling, to the mandate on your life. You were designed as a temple to carry the presence of God, to be a revealer of the goodness of God. Why is Paul telling them that? Again, because it can move people from where they are closer to Jesus. And if it can affect a heathen, it can affect those of us who've already decided to follow Jesus. That the Bible says in Colossians chapter three that you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. Your life is hidden in Christ. If that's where it's hidden, what, what's that mean? It means it's the only place it can be found. That means when you look anywhere else, you're gonna come up empty. If I hid something from you and I hid it in my pocket, if you looked under the chairs, looked in other rooms, you'd, you'd be searching in vain. The only place it can be found is the place it's been hidden, right? Well, if your life has been hidden in Christ, then you're not gonna find it in education. You're not gonna find it in relationships. You're not gonna find it in, in pleasure. You're not gonna find it in worldly pursuits. The only place you can find it is where it's been hidden. You've got to press into Jesus. You can only find your life where it's been hidden. The Bible says it has been hidden in Christ and Christ in God. So this isn't about us becoming arrogant and all about ourselves. It's actually the opposite of that. It's not about pride, it's about humility, saying, God, I'm not, I don't know how to do this on my own. I've got to hear from you. I don't even know the way I'm wired like you know how I'm wired. You know what you've put on the inside of me. Father, cause it to rise to the surface. I want to use my life for its intended purpose. I want to be who you've called me to be. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.